Isaiah chapter 1, starting with verse 1. This is God's word. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And my prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, As the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so he has dealt with us. You may be seated. Would you join with me? Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on his word preached. God, we... We've sung that Christ is ours forevermore. And we want a deeper experience of that truth now. And so by your Spirit, come and take all the riches that Jesus earned for us and apply them to our hearts so that we would be confronted where we need to be confronted, encouraged where we are discouraged, and in all things giving hope. That you are the God who is the Redeemer, and that Jesus is enough. And so we pray in his name. Amen. Well, we are, um, as I had sent out an email uh, this week, we are starting a new series through the book of Zechariah. And I think one of my favorite passages in Zechariah, there's a number of them. Zechariah is the most quoted prophet um, in the New Testament, much of the death narratives, the crucifixion narratives of Jesus are framed around uh, passages that we'll see, prophecies that we'll see in the, in the book of Zechariah. There are favorites like um, this, not by strength nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And bank on that. And take a breath. There's hope. And the hope doesn't rest on you. Not by your might, not by your power, says the Lord of hosts, but by my spirit. And whatever area that needs that truth needs to break in, it maybe chronic illness, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Maybe it's marriage struggles, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Maybe it's financial uncertainties. The list goes on. I mean, there's enough people in this room that there are probably 500 different areas that we need that to break in because there's so many areas of all of our lives that we just need to hear that fresh and anew and just be able to okay, Lord, you promise that you will break into the disorientation of my life right now with hope. And the word is that it doesn't rest on your shoulders. That just is enough to get us through just even the average day. Not by might, nor by power, 
by my spirit when you don't know what to do next because you've exhausted all of your resources. Not by might nor by your power, but by the spirit of the Lord who's present with his people is where hope comes from. Do you know, I think one of the most devastating emotions that we can feel is the loss of hope. You can't even get to hope anymore. Hope is just, just hope is so far out of grasp that you think, I can't fix this and I can't see where help is ever going to come from anymore. As the proverb says, the hope deferred makes the heart sick. Researchers have shown, in fact, that loss of hope it, it can cause bodily ailments. Your body can feel sick where hope it seems so far out of grasp. It can be such a devastating thing. But here's what's happening in the book of Zechariah. The Lord is making sure his people know, I will often bring you to that place because I love you. And I want you to know, I want you to know that hope is always rooted outside of yourself and outside of your circumstances. So I'm going to bring circumstances that are so overwhelming to you that you can't fix it and you can't see these circumstances changing anytime soon in your life so that you will believe this promise, not by strength or by might but by my spirit says the Lord of hosts the Proverbs or the psalmist says it this way in Psalm 31 be strong and let your heart take courage all you who wait for the Lord who wait for the Lord to show up with all of his redeeming love and all of his redeeming power. That is the situation that Zechariah is speaking into with the people of Israel. It was a very disorienting time of Israel's history. And as a result, Zechariah is honestly, it's a pretty weird book. And I'm going to guess that for most of us, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a part of the Bible that we just naturally go to, if at all, if at all. In fact, uh, I, it's, so, uh, it's such a weird book, I, I thought to myself, well, let's, let's preach through the book of Zechariah. Um, I don't know if I've ever done that before. And I go back through my notes, and lo and behold, there's a sermon series at this church that I preached on the book of Zechariah. It had such a deep impact on me. But I think that's part of the intention of the book. Is it's a disorienting book for a reason. Zechariah, we're introduced to the prophet in verse 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edo. It was a particular person doing a particular task. And that, that little word prophet is probably what confuses us most of the times as 
someone who reads the Bible. We don't know what to do with the prophets. I would guess that the whole sum of this large section of the Old Testament, we're just bewildered with. We don't know what to do, how to read them. They are difficult books, and they can be quite confusing. There's no part of Scripture where I scratch my head, and we've got 20 years of doing this, as well as a master's degree in the Bible and theology, and there's no part of the Bible that I scratch my head with more than the prophets. And then we add to that a ton of confusion that comes from the outsides, from a couple of extremes. And a couple of extremes is either that we neglect it because it is a difficult portion of the Bible, or there are these really weird interpretations of it that have absolutely no root in the passage themselves. And by really weird, I mean that oftentimes these weird interpretations of it leave us more confused. Like they treat the prophets as if they were a newscast from the future. These are the things that are going to happen one day, right? And so we read things like the locusts and plagues coming on the nations surrounding Israel and we're like, see, that's Apache helicopters that are going to descend on some far eastern country one day and descend. And that's the prophets being treated like it's a newscast from the future. But I think at some point you should scratch your head and say, well, how would the original hearers would have understood this? Because what makes clear, if we see from verse 1, is that this is a particular prophet speaking to a particular people at a particular time in history, or, or maybe your confusion around surrounding the prophets is because you've seen just charts and charts and charts of how, this is how to interpret the Bible, uh, the, this particular portion of the Bible. Right? Maybe you've watched videos with, with men on the stage and there's like a sea of charts behind them and you're like, the Bible's got to be more, less complicated than that. Like the average person should be able to re-pick this up and read it and at least do something with that and that out having to memorize these massive charts that just leave me more confused instead of making the Bible more clear. Verse 1 again. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edu. That is the most basic definition of of who a prophet is and what he does in God's economy. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah and he delivered it to God's people in a particular circumstance because God is making known to them his ways. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 18, this is what God says to Moses, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him he's saying to Moses this is you were my mouthpiece in fact later he says Aaron Moses if you'll remember didn't like speaking I don't speak well he says I don't speak all that good so God says okay I'll tell you what I'll give you Aaron Aaron will speak on your behalf That's the way the prophets were worked. In the midst of the Exodus, Moses was delivering God's word to God's people so that they would know what God was up to in the world. And God says in Deuteronomy 18, this is the way it's going to work. I'm going to 
Speak my word to my people so that they will understand my ways in the circumstances in which they are living so that they can have hope and find themselves oriented to the disorienting circumstances that they find themselves in. A prophet is simply God's official spokesman who brings God's word because the way God often, if not always, works is he always works through people. He mediates his redemptive presence through people. He's going to speak, but seldom does he speak directly. Often it is through his prophets. They are his mouthpiece. And then notice this, that the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah. He received a word from the Lord. But it doesn't stay with Zechariah. It came to him to be delivered to God's people, to his covenant people in this particular context to give them hope in the midst of their disorientation. Which means that Zechariah we now have in book form. Because they received, he received from the Lord a message that was to be given to the people. In other words, he didn't just dictate. Zechariah was making authorial intentions. He was an author. He, he made decisions on what to include and how to include it. He wasn't just, God wasn't just like dictating. The Spirit wasn't just dictating into his ear and, and Zechariah jotting it down. He's, he's received visions and words from the Lord and then he puts it in book form so that God's people could have God's word for all of time. And I think that helps us understand, as Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, that no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, this helps us understand why Zechariah is writing his book in such a weird disorienting way the book of Zechariah doesn't lend itself to a structure very well in fact there were at least three times when I thought about ditching this sermon series because I just couldn't figure out how to structure it and I'm still not quite sure how exactly to structure a sermon series through the book of Zechariah because it just seems so chaotically organized the first six chapters are a series of visions, night dreams that he has. And they're kind of really weird, as we'll see. And then, and then there's this middle section of people coming and asking for advice. And then this series of prophecies that, of restoration that come later. And, and you're just constantly, if you've, if you've spent some time reading the book of Zechariah, even this week, you've, you've probably had to pull back and go on, like, where? wait a minute, what's going on? Who, who's he talking? What's, where, where are we even in this book? I don't even know, remember what happened in the last chapter. And I think that's his intention. I think he is drawing his people into the chaos of life and forcing them to stop and listen to what the Lord has to say. And so it seems chaotic because life is chaotic. 
But when we stop and slow down, the Lord speaks redemptive, restorative, hope-filled words. And Zechariah is one of those books that makes us slow down. Again, verse 1, it gives us context. It places this in a very particular time in Israel's history. Verse 1, Zechariah is speaking to a particular people in a particular context of Israel's history. His word, God's word, was to them in the eighth month, the second year of Darius. The word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah. Well, the second year of Darius, we actually know from extra biblical records when that was. That was 520 B.C. In the previous years, a lot had happened to God's people. Israel had been split into two nations because of civil war after Solomon's death. God had warned his people, if you stay faithful to me, I will stay faithful to you. If you wander from me and sin against me, I'll discipline you because I am a father who loves his son. Well, they went their own ways and the northern kingdom really ceased to be faithful to God and his word so much earlier. And so in 722, they were sent into exile. The Assyrians conquered them and, and took them into exile. And the northern kingdom ceased to be. For a little over 100 years, almost 150 years, the southern kingdom kind of had a real rocky start. Times of revival and renewal. They were faithful and they were unfaithful. And God showed up and renewed them again. And they recommitted themselves to God's word. But it was a slow decline of sinning against the Lord. And in 586, the southern kingdom, known as Judah, was set into exile by the Babylonians. They came and conquered them, took part of the people to Babylon. Well, then they're out of their homeland, out of the land of promise. Seems like God had abandoned them. Nothing was as it should be. And then the Persians conquered the Babylonians. And then in 538, 18 years prior to Zechariah's writing, in 538, king takes the throne, Cyrus of Persia, and he changes the foreign policy. Where Babylon had taken everyone out of their homeland, Cyrus thought it's better if we can earn these people's favor. So he sent them back to their homelands and gave them riches to rebuild their religious sites and rebuild their cities. And so those conquered people in five. 38 go back to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and it seemed like hope was springing again God was going to show back up and and bring his covenant people into the victory and and restore them to the glory that they had seen under the rule of David and Solomon when they were the center of the world but they saw opposition the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple began to falter and it all stalls out up with hope, down with despair, up with hope again, down with despair, circumstances constantly changing, no one seems to be in control, nations rising and falling, we're at the whim of whatever king happens to take over next. What is going on? Where is the Lord? What is he doing And their circumstances just seem to be as chaotic as they could be. And into this, the Lord speaks, verse 2. This is 
the pathway back into his redemptive presence. Interestingly, the the temple had begun to be rebuilt in 522, and so these rebuilding efforts had started back again in Israel. It seemed like they were back on their their pathway to hope, and, and this can be some of the most dangerous times for God's people when circumstances seem to be going right. Hope can rise again. And it's into this that God is speaking to them. Hey, hold up. You may rebuild the temple. You may reestablish your city. The, the circumstances might be changing for the better, but I want you to know, don't put your hope there. Your hope has got to rest in my presence in your life. Verse 2, he reminds them, the Lord was very angry with your fathers, therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Don't be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds and they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Do you hear what he's saying? Let your hope rest on this. My redemptive presence in your midst. And here is the pathway to experiencing the joy of your salvation. The joy of my redemptive presence that will free you from putting your hope on the ebb and flow, the rise and fall of your changing circumstances. Return to me. The repentance is the gateway into experiencing the redemptive presence of God in our lives. Because sin has to be dealt with. God is, as he says repeatedly, I'm a God of compassion, I'm slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and covenant love for my people who will by no means overlook sin. This is why he crucified his own son because he is as glorified in judgment as he is in salvation. He is righteous and holy as he is loving and compassionate. And throughout the prophets, the message is, I will return to you when you return to me. We'd said before, he's not a finger wagging God who waits for his child to come home when he's done something wrong and leaves a lecture at the other end. This is a God who is pursuing his people. Calling them to repentance. Not repent and I'll return to you. I'm returning to you to repent and then I'll return to you in fullness of love and glory. You will experience not just my justice but my love and favor as we turn from sin constantly, and this is just this constant activity, the the Christian life is this constantly repentance and faith, repentance and faith, repentance and faith. How do I enjoy the blessings of God in my life? Repentance and faith, repentance and faith. The gospel tells us that sin has been dealt with at the cross. And that we don't come, but we don't come to God empty-handed. We come to Him is with sin in our hands. Look what I've look what I've done today. Look what 
look what I've, I've sinned against you and I thought, I'd, I thought I'd forever stop doing this, but I've done it again. It's been so long. Or maybe it's a pervasive area of sin and you're just like, I can't, I can't quit doing this. And you don't come with that behind your back. You come with that in your hands and say, Lord, I've, I've done it I've, and I can't do anything about it. You have got to fix this. You have got to change me. You have got to forgive me. You have got to look on your son because if you do not, then these blood-stained hands will forever leave me guilty unless the blood that's staining my hands is the blood of Jesus Christ. Return to me. But don't return to me empty-handed. Return to me with the sin in your hands and see that I've crucified your, my son for you. Will I not also graciously give you all things that's where hope is let me close with this in October 1982 Badger Stadium in Madison Wisconsin where the University of Wisconsin played their football games was packed they were facing Michigan State in a very important game. 60,000 people had poured into Badger Stadium to watch their football team take out Michigan State. But it soon became obvious that Michigan State was the better team. And Wisconsin was outmanned and overpowered. But something very strange started to happen. The fans started cheering as the score got more lopsided against Wisconsin. The Wisconsin fans were, were cheering bursts of applause and shouts of joy as they watched their team lose. But you see here what was going on. 70 miles away the Milwaukee Brewers were beating the St. Louis Cardinals in game three of the 1982 World Series and many of the fans had that in their ears. They were responding to something, a different message beyond their current circumstances. A message from afar that was speaking into their present circumstances that was so filled with hope that they could rejoice with joy. And you see, that's, what's, that's what happens when the Lord is present with redemptive hope. It's not that our immediate circumstances immediately change. It's that Jesus in his death and resurrection has given us another story to listen to. It's the most true story. In history, God crucified his son. He died for our sins. He was raised victorious. He's seated on his throne in heaven, presently reigning over all things, and he's coming again. That are true circumstances, events that happened in history. And that's the story that we listen to. We either listen to the present circumstances, the events that are going on right now, or the ultimate events. Jesus now reigns. Jesus is coming again. Christ is ours forevermore. Let's pray. Lord.
That's where our heart has found its treasure. And so this is our hope. Not by power, nor by might, but whatever needs to be done in our hearts and in our lives needs to be done by you. So make us a repentant, returning people who come to you with our brokenness and say, by your spirit work. We pray this in our King's name. Amen.